0: Uh, we're going to jump right in. If you have your Bibles with you, we are returning to our series in Joshua. And we're going to be in Joshua chapter 2. If you want to make it where there, Joshua is in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then you come to Joshua. Um, and we're going to be spending a couple weeks within this chapter. Uh, we've taken about a seven-week break from this series, but uh, we're going to return today and kind of work our way through. The overall uh, focus of series the Journey to the Promise. And this morning we're going to be focusing on wisdom for the promise, as we're going to be in, again, in chapter 2 of the Old Testament book of Joshua. So let's read it together, and uh, we're going to be focusing primarily on verse 1 this morning, but we need the whole story to understand what is going on. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. Verse 6, But she brought, had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men laid down, she came to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I've dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you'll save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us a land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for a house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterway, afterward you may go on your way. And the men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear." Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own hand, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be get, guiltless with respects to your oath that you have made us square. And she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They parted and went to the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned, they came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. They told him all that had happened to them. And he said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word that you have given us to speak to us, to guide us and lead us, to correct us, rebuke us, to train us for righteousness, to make us equipped for every good work that you have laid aside for us to do on this day and the days to come. I thank you for every individual here, Father. I praise you that you know each and every name that's in this place, each and every situation that is laying upon every heart that is here. Father, there's nothing hidden from your sight, so we praise you for your holiness. You're all-knowing, you're all-power. We praise you for what you're going to do here this morning, Lord, and wait in expectation on how you're going to change us and move us and open our eyes to see truth and hear truth and apply truth. But I pray that your spirit would come upon each and every one of us, that we would leave this place knowing we've been in your presence and we've been impacted by you, that we've grown stronger in our faith. We pray to you as the Holy God and ask for your forgiveness where we have failed you. We have not been or been doing what you've been wanting us to do. But in this time, in this moment, Lord, help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to be completely focused on you in this time. Thank you again for allowing us to enter into your throne room of grace. Thank you again for calling upon us and drawing us into your presence. Father, I come before you and I pray for those here this morning who do not know you as their Lord and Savior. Today would be the day of their salvation, that you would reveal that mercy upon them. You would awaken their heart to understand who you are and what you've done and the songs we sung about you and worshipped you for. Lord, guide and lead us. Be our shepherd through this text. Don't let me get in your way. And what you want to say to us this morning, we ask that you alone would be glorified. That your kingdom and will would be done in our lives through your word that does not come back void and that's living and active and is going to go into the deepest, most parts of our being. So be glorified here this morning and praise in your Son's name. Amen. This is a. Uh, I don't know if you're too familiar with this text in Joshua chapter 2, but this is one of those strange stories in the Bible. It may not be one of those that we typically think of as strange stories. Most times people think of like the flood, that's a strange story, or you know the top, talking serpent, or Jonah and the fish incident, or maybe uh, the talking donkey in the book of Numbers. If you've yet to, yet to read that story, that's a, that's a good one. We're going to actually talk about that here in a moment, but this should make the list on strange stories in the Bible, and you're about to see why. Uh, We read the whole story, and like I said, we're going to be focusing on verse 1 primarily, but we're going to take the whole story to understand wisdom that we can gather from this event. In Joshua chapter 1, we spent time seeing how God spoke over His people and over Joshua, commissioning them to cling to His Word and His guidance, and that they would see victory in His presence and in His Word. Here in Joshua chapter 2, this event probably happens within verse 10 through verse 18 of chapter 1. And we can gather that understanding in verse 1 where it says, Joshua the son of Nun sent men secretly. The word sent there in verse one can probably be better read as had sent meaning that this is a past tense episode it's not a chronological event within the book of joshua therefore chapter two is a bridge chapter and what it is doing it's bridging the commissioning of Joshua and the Israelites to the conquest of Joshua and the Israelites, which happens in chapter 6. And chapter 2 gives us that little bit of information that when we arrive to Jericho in chapter 6, we begin understanding why things are happening the way they're happening and what is the significance of this woman named Rahab. In chapter 2, we have the location known as Shittim, which may not mean a whole lot to us at this particular moment, but it will. Because it takes us back to the event of the talking donkey in the book of Numbers. If you're not familiar with that story, basically at Shittim in the book of Numbers, there was a speed bump spiritually for the Israelite people on their way to the promised land. The Bible unfolds the events of a man named Balaam who had a donkey, and who was summoned by a man named Balak, who wanted Balaam, a prophet, to come and speak a curse over the people of Israel. And Balak was willing to give him a bribe or a generous donation in order for him to speak a curse over the people of Israel. But every time Balaam began to speak over the people of Israel, after he convened with God, he would give them a blessing. He didn't just do this one time, but he did it three different times, which made Balak furious. And that's kind of how the story seems to end in Numbers chapter 25, but in Numbers chapter 26, we're told that the people of Israel began to whore with the daughters of Moab. And that's God's description of the event, not mine. But in Numbers 31, 2 Peter chapter 2, in the book of Jude, in Revelation chapter 2, all of those, those references point to the events in Numbers chapter 26 with the Moabite women as an action that was produced by Balaam in in giving instructions to Balak about how to corrupt or bring a cursing upon the people of Israel within the land of Shittim, in which that is what happened. The Israelite people began to intermarry and have relationships with the Moabite people, which brought a plague or a curse upon themselves. The Bible describes Balaam, even though he seems to be innocent in the matter, rather as an individual who loved gain from wrongdoing. And put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So even though in numbers Balaam doesn't seem to pronounce a cursing upon the people of Israel like Balak wanted, the the idea is that at some point in time he wanted whatever Balak was going to give him, and so he goes to Balak and says, look, if you really want to get the people of Israel down, if you really want to slow them down, and for their God not to be for them, this is how you do it. You allow them to marry your women, and God will take care of the rest. And that seems to be what unfolds in Numbers chapter 26. Well, that happens in Shittim, where the people of Israel are phrased as prostituting themselves with the people or the pagan nation, the pagan women. We return to Shittim here in Joshua chapter 2, where now the, the place where the Israelite had prostituted themselves, now the people of Israel are waiting to hear news from the prostitute's house. So you see God's ironic sense of humor as he brings us full circle here to this event. In chapter twenty, in chapter two, Joshua is referred to as the son of Nun, and this is just a tidbit of information. If you're beginning to study through the book of Joshua yourselves, that phrase "son of Nun" happens ten times within this book. And each time it happens, it acts as like a bookmark or an ending or beginning of an episode or an event that is about ready to take place. It happened earlier in chapter 1. Here in chapter 2, the Son of Nun is taking an action. At the end of chapter 2, the spies come back. And we see that phrase again in chapter 6 where the conquest is officially beginning as the people are going to Jericho. But the story is strange and hilarious if you sit with it for a while and actually contemplate what Joshua commanded these two spies to do and what actually took place in the city of Jericho. So Joshua's instructions in verse 1 is, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Before he even tells them to view the land, he goes to the men secretly as they were in Shittim. So the word secretly, we should know what that means, means to do it with this, without detection, to do it without knowledge of others. What Joshua is wanting these two individuals to do, which we don't know, they go unnamed, is to be without detection, not only in the camp of Israel but also in the the city of Jericho. And so he sends them to the land, especially with to dig up or to view information about Jericho. Even though we read to view the land there in verse 1, Joshua is not telling them to look over the entire promised land. We can gather that information because the last spy mission, which this is also connected to, the last spy mission, that took 40 days and these two spies are in the land for three days. But let's Let's just walk through this for a second. Okay, so here's the instructions. Be secretive, right? Three things there to do. Be secretive, gather information about the land around Jericho, and gather information about the city of Jericho itself. The word view there in verse 1 means to dig up information. And the text reveals that they were obedient to the command of Joshua because in verse 1 and 2 they went... And they came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there and was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Now just think about this for a second. What Joshua told them to do and then what actually transpired while they were there. These two spies have to be the worst spies in the history of the world. The text seems to imply as soon as they arrive in Jericho, the only people who do not know they're in Jericho are the people of Israel. As the king of, of Jericho has this understanding that our messengers come to him to tell him that the spies of Israel are now in the city. And can you imagine that conversation in the king's quarters if we were able to listen into that as his servants come to him and say, hey, king, just thought you'd like to know We've seen two spies from Israel come into our camp and we believe they're going to be staying the night because they're here to spy out the land. As the king replies, well, really? Well, that's good information. Where might I find the people of God? Where might I find the people who belong to Yahweh? And the only response that the messengers can give the king is that, well, it appears the people of God are staying the night at the prostitute's house. Because where else are you going to find the people of God staying when they come to a city? And so they're all lodged here, but they're not being secretive. They're not hidden. Matter of fact, the only reason they end up being hidden and in secret is because that's Rahab's intuition. The only reason they get dropped out of the window secretly because that's Rahab's plan. The only reason they go and hide in the woods and remain in secret is because that's Rahab the prostitute's idea. These are the worst spies ever. And yet they come to, to Jericho as this covert spy mission of chapter 2 under three charges. Be secretive, view the land, and dig up information about Jericho. And if you read through chapter 2, if you, you and I were able to read the Hebrew, which I can't. I don't know if you can. If you can, more kudos to you. But the reading in in chapter 2 of the Hebrew is very jargled up. It's very very quick and and it's, it's trying to get to the point of what Joshua is actually about. And the Israelite people getting into the promised land and fulfilling the promise of God. But we have to keep in mind who Joshua is. Joshua is the commander of God's people. He is the leader. He has military experience. He has spy experience. He has done this sort of mission 40 years ago for 40 days, not just three. As the spies come back to Joshua in verse 24, they come with good news, which I think is what we try to do when we make a big goof up. We start with the good stuff that happened, right? And so they tell Joshua, well, the Lord has given all into our hands and also the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. But we know Joshua from Scripture, from this book and from earlier books in the Old Testament, that Joshua is a commander, he's military trained, he's spy tested, he's battle experienced, he's a man of God. And so I can't help but wonder when we come into the end of verse 23 and they told him all that happened to them, I can't help but wonder if that is because of Joshua's prompting to the spies to give him the information. I mean, again, can you imagine that little conversation as you come back to Joshua after you're spying and he asks you, so tell me about your mission. Tell me what you experienced. Tell me what happened. Were you able to remain secretive? (laughs) No one here knew, right? Israel didn't have a clue. Joshua looking at them probably would say, well, tell me what you can... What you found out about Jericho, I really wanted to know more about that city. I remember it 40 years ago. I remember what it was like, and that's where we have to go first. Tell me about that city. And because we know what happened at that city, the the spy's report would be we didn't really get to see much of the city. We spent most of our night at the prostitute's house. What a good report. And uh, now that we bring up the prostitute, we thought we should let you know that she kind of did us a favor and let us stay overnight. So we promised her that we let her live. And anybody else she got in her house. But it's a really nice place, has a nice sky deck, nice window for a breeze. Can you imagine what Joshua was thinking? You went to this city and you spent the whole time there in one place and it happened to be the prostitute's house. What did you find out about the land? Surely you were gone for three days. Surely you found out something about the land itself. And the only report they could give is, well, you know, because we're being all secretive and all, we kind of up having a three-day camping trip out in the woods. But the good news is all the inhabitants melt away in fear because of us. I read this story, and Jamie kind of helped me with what it would fall under you remember those pinterest fail posts that still come out where people did a pinterest thing and they try to do it and just completely goes all off the rails and and it's tag nailed it <laughs> that's the t-shirts joshua should have given these spies if joshua's handing out t-shirts that's the t-shirts they got covert specialized recon covert spy and on the back it says nailed it or epic fail They weren't secretive. They didn't have much information about Jericho. They didn't have much information about the land, but they had this understanding from the information Rahab gave them that the people were in fear. And even though this mission seems to fall apart, in Deuteronomy chapter 34, in verse 9, it says, Joshua the son of Nun was full of spirit and wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, so the people of Israel obeyed him. And did as the Lord commanded. There is wisdom in this failure. And the wisdom doesn't come from the two spies. The wisdom doesn't even come from the king of Jericho, who's outsmarted by a prostitute. The wisdom comes from Joshua, the wisdom that we are to gain this morning, and God moving us into his promise and where he wants us to be, not only for today, but into the future. This spy story should bring. A reminder of a past spy mission that has already taken place to which Joshua and Caleb were a part of. In that particular event, Moses is commanded by God to send spies into the promised land to check it out and bring back a report. So Moses gets 12 spies all together and sends them in. Well, two of the 12 come back with a favorable report? Well, all of them come back saying the land is good, but only two of them are willing to go in and take it? That's Joshua and Caleb. And because of their disobedience to the promise of God and the command of God, the people of God are now wandering around for 40 years, which brings us to the book of Joshua. Joshua has this understanding. He has been there. He has done that. He has seen the land. He knows it is good. He knows what to be prepared for. And so wisdom that Joshua uses in this moment is a wisdom that we can take as well, and that is to gain wisdom from our past. Caleb and Joshua are the only two Israelites who have had any experience in the promised land. They were part of the original spy mission, which means they knew the lay of the land. They were familiar with Jericho. And I imagine Jericho's probably changed in the last 40 years. We know that the city is on high alert. We know that they have a wall. We know that the spies could have told Joshua about the gate that's fully operational. But our passage gives us details about the spy mission that despite a 40-year layover, Did you catch what Rahab said to the spies? Despite 40 years of the Israelites not coming into the land, Rahab revealed that the people of the land still remember when they came out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. They still remember 40 years ago when the Israelite people took down those two kings, which happens in the book of Exodus. The people of the land were still in awe of the God of Israel. And again, being 40 years, it's a lot of time for cities and the land to get military preparations and get their defenses ready. Jericho's on high alert. alert. But Joshua, this isn't a moment of lack of faith, but a moment of godly leadership. He's gaining wisdom from his experience in the past so he can be ready for the present and into the future. And this is where we all have to be and where God calls us to do in our life is to gain wisdom from our experiences in the past. You know, almost three years ago, believe it or not, almost, Jamie and I did our own covert spy mission, a lot like this one in Chapter 2. We, it was secretive. You know, The two of us knew, our two kids didn't know, so the rest of Hurchin Camp was unaware. as so We dropped them off at school, and we came down on a secretive spy mission to check out the land, to check out the area, specifically to check out Stratford. We didn't let the pastor search committee know that we were coming, because we wanted to kind of get the real feel of Stratford. Now we didn't find a prostitute's house. I'm not saying that there's one in Stratford, but we did not go there. We went to the coffee house, which funny enough worked a lot like the, the prostitute's house. Let me explain. <laughs> let me explain. She had plenty of windows. Yeah, yeah. And then, let me explain. Um, so we, we, we check out the land. We check out Stratford. We drive around. We go into the coffee house. We go into Common Grounds and we, we sit. We order our food and we go to sit down at the table. But because we're an unfamiliar face, um, Debbie sees us and comes and walks up and, and begins asking questions about who we are and what we're doing. And we did not want to be like Rahab in chapter 2, where we, we just gave lies. We wanted to start this journey truthful because we believe God was calling us here to Harvest Hill. And so we said, Well, you know, I'm Mike, it's Jamie. And, and we were actually talking with the, the church at Harvest Hill because they're looking for a pastor. And so we're just kind of here checking it out. Well, Debbie calls Michelle over. <laughs> and so Michelle comes over and she's like, Hey, this might be your future pastor. And we're like, ah. <laughs> great um and yeah epic fail Stratford recon spy mission epic fail that was our shirt um so so we're (laughs) nailed it that's right our kids never found out that we were here but we were we were sitting there and, and and so we had a conversation very good conversation and and I end up texting Charlie because Charlie, do you remember this text? Because Charlie was on the kind of the head of the pastor search committee. I've been talking with him the most out of all the committee, and and say, hey, just want to give you a heads up. Um, you know, we were at Rahab's house. I mean, the <laughs> coffee house, and uh, and uh, someone kind of knows who we are now and has a face, and so just anyway, heads up. And you're like, oh yeah, sure, everyone goes to Rahab's house. Uh, you know. <laughs> everyone goes to Common Grounds that's fine so he was cool about it kind of like joshua was but we did this mission and the reason we did this mission is because of our past experiences with churches when god was calling us here we've had past experiences with churches and communities and and you can you can say a lot of good stuff in conversations that's why we you know the pastor church committee did background checks and and, and met with references and talked with references things like that and so we wanted to do our own kind of thing with Stratford. Because we've seen churches put on a good show and then you get there and you realize that, okay things are not really the way that are being presented and so we wanted to get some information about you and about this community and and if this is where we could see god allowing us to bring our family so our family can be straffordites or straffordians or yeah strafford what no i don't i don't think that's right um so anyway um you don't have a voice Um, and so our past experience because we we didn't really do that in some places and and we went through a lot of pain our past experiences said we want to figure this out and so we actually did several of these trips Um, so a couple of them still remain secret but we did several of these trips um, just to kind of check out the area and pray and just did a view and things like that because our past experiences had allowed us to gain wisdom and that's what we do is that we gain wisdom from the lessons of life, if we allow the lessons of life to give us that wisdom. One definition of the word wisdom in the Bible means to know from experience. And Throughout the Bible, God has commanded His people to remember because God gives His people experiences to gain wisdom and to equip us for future promises. If you're like me, you probably wrestle with amnesia at times. You forget names, you forget certain events and how things actually played out. And so this is why it is so important, and it's something that I've gotten out of the habit of until this last week, to journal. And I know as a guy, you think thinking, journal, Pfft, that's like a diary. But here's the thing. Joshua was a very manly man, and numerous times God commanded him to write this down. Remember this store this up because God knows we like Joshua and the Israelites can forget things and so Josh God commanded them and he commands us to remember the experiences that he places us in how we've gotten through those and what we've learned from them so we can gain wisdom from those to better prepare us for today and for what may be coming down the road so we're to acquire wisdom from our past experiences because they strengthen us Joshua in this moment is not only drawing from his past, but to gain wisdom we see that we are to use the assets in our presence so we can be aware of what is coming in the future. Joshua's past had experience. He knew where, we're, where they were going. He knew what was there. He knew what to expect, but the people of Israel didn't. But he also knew 40 years had changed. In 40 years, things happen, Right? Things change in 40 years. And so what Joshua used, he used these assets, these two men who go unnamed to send them in in his present to gain wisdom about what's happening in the future. But Joshua also in chapter 1 is fully commanded to continue to cling to the book of the law. So he's to use the asset of the word of God that he has to guide and lead him so he can find success and know what to expect in the future. The Bible tells us that the beginning of wisdom begins with a fear of the Lord. The word fear means to be in awe and in reverence, to understand who He is and, and really who we're not, to recognize God's holiness and our sinfulness, and to continue to seek after reconciliation with Him that is only found through Jesus Christ. And God has given a huge present asset right now in this moment in His relationship with Jesus Christ. We are now children of His. We are clean, We're put under the promise of God, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm for you, not against you. What can man do against you if, if God is for us? And so we get under this huge banner of promise in our presence, where we are in a relationship with God. Joshua went to go gather information. Even though he had been there, done that, he wanted to gather information to prepare him, not only for the present, but how to prepare for the future. Here's the thing. If you're a child of God, you belong to the God who is all present. He is timeless. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. That is the God we serve, and that is the God that loves us and is for us. That is one of our present assets that we have to tap into The Bible also says that when I'm in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, God gives me His Spirit to dwell inside of me. To which the Bible says in Luke chapter 21 that when a Spirit comes, it gives you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. So no matter what I face in life today, tomorrow, or days to come, if I'm a child of God, God has given me this incredible asset within me that nothing can withstand or contradict because it's the power of God within me. The Bible says that we also have the Word of God, which Joshua had as our present asset. And we are commanded in Colossians 3, verse 16, "...let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom." And so we seek the truth of the Bible, and we see it when it says in 1 Peter chapter 1 that God in His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Here's the thing. In our present situation, if I'm in a relationship with God, then I have a reason to celebrate because I fully know that God is truly for me. He truly wants the best for my life as long as I'm living according to His will and His purpose. He's for me, not against me. Yet our present asset doesn't just stop with my relationship with God and the Spirit dwelling in me and the, and the Word of God that I get to go to every single day and hear God speaking to my heart. God has surrounded us in this moment that we might gain wisdom through physical assets within the body of believers. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, that iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. God has surrounded us with people to give us wisdom. So turn to the person next to you and tell them, you have the wisdom I need. Go ahead. <laughs> now some of y'all are hearing that coming out of people's mouth and you're like, eh. I don't know if I have wisdom to give, and I really don't know if they have wisdom to give me, but the reality is when I look in God's word, I see that they do. You know, a little while back, uh, Sam Buchanan did offer to preach this Sunday, but I told him he didn't have to, but I'm going to use him as an illustration. Uh, A little while back, Sam was coming over to our house uh, after school and just kind of hang out for a little bit. And. And uh, Sam is one grade higher than our youngest, Abby. So uh, Abby's in third, Sam's in fourth. Um, but at that time, you know, they were coming over and so they were talking a lot. And I remember the school year was coming closer and closer to an end, much like it is right now. And in their conversation, Sam, who oh, I believe it was a third grader at that time, was speaking wisdom to Abby, the second grader, on what to expect as a third grader the next year. What to expect from the teacher and what sort of projects you're going to have to do and and what sort of things is going to take some time. If an elementary student can speak wisdom to another elementary student so they can gain wisdom and be prepared for the future, you better believe that a child of God who's been given the Holy Spirit can speak wisdom into another child of God who has the Holy Spirit. God has given you wisdom. He has granted you all things that pertain to life and godliness. And God wants to use you to speak wisdom in other people's lives. Has anyone here ever dealt with financial issues or financial questions? There's wisdom in this room. Has anyone here ever had relationship problems? There's wisdom. Have any of our parents ever felt overwhelmed about being a parent? There's wisdom. Has any student ever been worried about an upcoming assignment, test, or paper to write? There's wisdom. Has anyone here ever dealt with car problems or had to deal with house repairs? There's wisdom. Has anyone ever felt far from God? Has anyone ever felt the presence of God in their life? Look at that. There's so much wisdom in this room. God has surrounded you with a present asset. But a lot of times we think we're the only ones experiencing this. We're the only ones going through this. And God is saying to you right now in this moment, you're not alone. Not only am I with you, but I've surrounded you with people who have gone through the things you're going through presently or have gone through them in the past. And they can speak wisdom as you go through this. They are a present asset. We are here to share our life with one another, not just to gather on Sunday morning as a church, but to share our lives. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, the Bible says, Encourage one another and build one another up. There are people around you right now that are here that God has specifically placed in for your life. So you can be where God wants you to be and you can gain wisdom. And here's the thing. There may be people here in this moment that are more like these two spies. They got their epic fail t-shirt on on, and and you've seen their mistakes. You've heard about their mistakes. Sometimes we learn most from our mistakes. And that means we have to be willing to be vulnerable to share about our mistakes. So some of us need you to stand up. You don't have to do it at this moment. But just to stand up and invite people into your life and say, come and learn from the mistakes that I have made. Gain wisdom from the speed bumps that I have had so that you don't have to go through it. Kids and students, college students, this is why your parents are so hard on you. It's not that they don't have a clue. It's not that they don't understand, it's because they have been there, done that like Joshua, and they don't want to see you go through the same heartache that they have been through. And you may be like, oh yeah, right, what does my mom and dad say? It's the truth. They're trying to get wisdom into your life so you don't have to deal with the things that they had to deal with. They want you to gain wisdom from their wisdom of mistakes. They are an asset in your life. You just have to get over your prideful heart. And stop thinking that you've got it all figured out. You're 12 to 19 years of age. Seriously. God has placed them in your life. This isn't a lack of faith moment. I've already said that. Joshua isn't having a lack of faith, he's having a godly leadership moment. He's relying upon others, he's relying upon information, he's relying upon things that God has placed around him. Just like we have today, we have his spirit, we have his word, we have his people. And God wants to do great mighty works through us when we allow those things that God's already placed around us that we might gain godly wisdom and allow God to transform us by the renewal of our mind. The beauty of the thing is if we actually would learn from each other, we wouldn't have to see people going through the same mistakes that we've seen other people make. If we would just be willing to share our life. If we would just be willing to be honest, are you gaining wisdom from the people that God has brought into your life? Are you giving them an ear? Are you sharing the wisdom that you've learned in life with others? The Bible promises that everything that God brings into our life and all the people is because God has a plan for us. And His plan is for welfare, not for evil, and to give you a future and a hope. That's why Paul is able to say through the power of the Holy Spirit that we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. Those who are called according to His purpose. You may be here in this moment and you have doubts and wrestlings with God. You may be here in this moment and God is reminding you to draw from your past redraw draw from the faithfulness you've seen God bring you through to this point and know that He is faithful still. Even if you're not experiencing it at this moment, even if you're not ready to worship his faithfulness, he's been faithful in the past and he will be faithful still. Maybe he's brought you to this moment because you're trying to do it by yourself and God's saying, look around you at the wisdom I've placed around you. Rely upon the assets that I've already brought into your life. Share your life. Be vulnerable. Satan says, oh, they don't want to hear that. You don't need to bother them with that. That's not God's plan. God's plan is that we would be a body of believers working together harmoniously for the will and purpose of God. We're in this together. We succeed or fail together. And so you have wisdom that I need. And I may have wisdom that you need. And your kids may have wisdom that I need. But we can share in our life so that we can gain wisdom to not only... Learn from the past and be ready for today, but to be ready for what God is bringing in the future. But See, if we aren't gaining wisdom from the experiences that God brings in our life, then what we're going to do is we're just going to keep running and be like a hamster running on the wheel. Anybody have a pet hamster? Good. Those are the most annoying animals ever. They only want to work out at night, Right. They don't go anywhere. They just go and go and go. I think that's where some of us may feel in our relationship with God. We just keep doing the same thing over and over again because we're not gaining the wisdom that God is wanting us to gain. We're not sharing our life with others so they can help us through and see what God is doing. God has a plan and a purpose, and it's good. But we've got to be about His plan. The story is also a reminder of another mission that took place. It wasn't a mission to spy out the land and to gather information. It was a mission that God put forth through His Son, Jesus Christ, and God already had all the information He needed. He already knew that we were sinful people that had prostituted ourselves to sin. That's the way God describes it when a group of people cheat And what they were created to be. They prostitute themselves. They sell themselves short. And God already knew that all about every single individual in this room. That we were like Jericho. We had our wall up. We were defending our heart. We thought we had it all figured out. And we would let some things come in and out. But for the most part, we were bordering our sin inside. And like we're going to see here in a couple weeks, God sent his son Jesus Christ to knock down those walls. To let you know there's not a person in this room that doesn't wrestle with sin and struggle with sin. But there is one who came, the ultimate, came to pay the ultimate price for that sin, and that's Jesus Christ. He came on not a spy mission, but a rescue mission for your soul and heart. You may be here this morning, you've been trying to do it yourself, and God is now speaking and crying out to you to begin a relationship with Him that is only found through Jesus Christ. The Bible says when I admit that I'm a sinner, when I do things that are pretty stupid at times, I make mistakes. When I admit that, I come to a place where I can then understand God's holiness and God's love and mercy because I can't fix myself. But God knows that about me. And so he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to rescue me from myself, rescue you from your sin. Jesus Christ died on the cross, they placed him in a tomb, and he rose three days later. And the Bible says, When I believe in my heart, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. But I believe in my heart and I'm going to confess with my mouth. And confession means I have to let it be known. Maybe you're here this morning, and that's where you are. You need to invite Jesus Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior. I'm going to invite you to come we do this time of invitation. Jackson's going to come up and lead us. He's going to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I'm tired of trying to do this alone. I'm trying to be on this wheel that keeps going over and over. Maybe you're here this morning and you realize you haven't been using what God has placed around you to gain wisdom. You're kind of stuck. Maybe you need to come and kneel before the Father and ask Him to help you see the people He's brought around you so you can get out of this spot. Maybe today the only application you need to do is start journaling. Start writing down what God is teaching you so you can look back and you've, I've got a tub full of journals. So if you think that's strange for a guy to journal, then thank you. But I can go to that tub and I can flip through and see how God has been in my life, how He's answered prayers, how, how He's grown me. His faithfulness is all in this treasure. And maybe that's what you need to start doing. Start writing down what God is doing and what you're going through. Well, I'm going to invite you to come. We're going to pray together real quick. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, that you've placed wisdom around us. Thank you, Lord, we don't have to do this alone. Thank you that you're for us, not against us, and it is evident as we gather in this place today. I thank you for your Son, Jesus. I thank you for your Spirit. I thank you for your Word that does not come back void, that is living and active. Father, in this moment, for those who know that they are not your child. They do not belong to you. Father, give them the boldness to walk down this aisle. Just let me know and they want you as the Lord Savior. Father, you know every heart in this room. You know those who are struggling and those who are worshiping, those who are worrying and those who are just wrestling in this moment. You know those who are singing your praise for what you've done. Father, I thank you that you bring us to this place, not so we can be gathered in a room or in a building so we can be here at a certain time for worship. Lord, you bring us to this place so that we can use each other. We can sharpen one another. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that are, are going through a bad time right now. Father, you would just help us to rally around each other we can learn from each other, even our mistakes. We know, Lord, that you've taken it all. Thank you for being a God who cares even about these things. We give you praise for that. So we come this time of invitation, let you alone be glorified for it. Praise all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.